And go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. We're not going to be there very long, but we are going to start there today. Revelation chapter 21. Before we get started, kind of as a, a, I don't know what you call it, a prelude to the sermon, I just want to remind us of something. I want to remind us that as, as we cover subjects, things come up in the scripture, topics, some topics hit close to home, and, and maybe some topics don't, but when we talk today about what is an adult and what is a child, we've all been children, and, and most of us, if not already, will become adults, and you're going to hear things, and you're going to say, wow, I did that right, and you're probably going to hear things, and you're going to say, wow, I didn't do that very well. And, and no matter what the topic is, no matter what the subject is, there's a principle that must always be applied. The principle is this. God only deals with my future. He does not go back to critique my past. Okay? So whatever I hear today, whether I get a pat on the back or whether I get a poke in the ribs... Or maybe that two-by-four across the back of the head. Whatever the case may be, I need to receive it as, what do I do with this tomorrow? What do I do with it this afternoon? What do I do with it next month? How do I put this in my memory banks? How do I, how do I file it away? How do I use it? How do I use it to benefit others? How do I use it to benefit myself? How do I use it to benefit my family? Because you can't change the past. And, and God is not the kind of God who, who brings up the past and says, well, if only this, or if you hadn't that, or if you had this and that. He says, this is where we're at right now, and this is where we're moving forward. And that's the great thing about God. When we're saved, our sins are removed, they're put away as far as the east is from the west, and he doesn't bring them back up. So, this week, maybe last week, future topics, whatever we discuss, always keep that in mind. And I'm going to try to remind you every once in a while. But today we are talking about adults and children, so literally everyone should hear something about themselves today. And so this is just continuing on from what we've been talking about, so let's do a little review. In your notes, uh, part one, that would be the first sermon, one-sentence summary God assigned positions and roles. God's assigned position and roles are not a reflection of value or importance. They are simply his chosen way of establishing his sovereign will. So not everyone can be the pastor. Not everyone can be a deacon. Not everyone can lead a Sunday school class. Not everyone can do some of the things that may seem important. God has given everyone a role. And frankly, without all the other roles, those roles don't work. And God has said, whatever role I assign you, it's an important role, and it's a necessary role. And if you fulfill your role, then my will will be accomplished. And so our job is to, to, to follow God's leading and to step out in faith and do what he's asked us to do. Not everyone gets to be the head of the household. Not everyone gets to be the manager at work. Some are called to be men, some women, some children. And, and all, all a variety of things. And, and what we cannot do is use our assignment or the role we've been given as an excuse. 
We can't say, well, if I was in charge, things would be better, and I would be more involved. That doesn't work. We can't say, I've been discriminated against. We can't say, I'm oppressed. In, in, the, in the idea of what God has given us, because God's assigned roles are exactly what he needs, and they're exactly what we need. So we need to be thinking in those terms. And in today's world, that matters. Because the world is telling us that God doesn't know what he's doing, and his previously assigned roles are old-fashioned, and, and we can update them, and we can redefine them. And we don't need to be all that concerned because we can gather enough people together who agree. And what God really says is, no, this is the way I, I established it because it is the right way, and it's the perfect way, and this is the way that my will will be accomplished. So part two, or point two, God's original plans and design are the key to understanding God's current plan and design for living according to his will. So we look at his original to really see what our goal is. Because we do live in a, in a world that's broken, and, and some of God's designs have been ruined by abuse and neglect and sin, and, and, and they've been misconstrued, construed, and sometimes we have to think hard to figure out what God's original plan was. But when we figure out what his original plan was, then we now have a goal. We have something to look at, to compare to. And we look at it and we say, okay, this is, what, this is what I will strive for. On the flip side of that, where it says follow-up, God's final design is another key to understanding God's current plans and design. His final design, what it's going to be in the end, what the new heaven and the new earth will look like. And this is where we're going to read in Revelation. I just want you to hear it. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, maybe point out two or three things. But I want you to hear what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. So I'm going to read. It's in your notes. I'll start with uh, chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first earth and the, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a beautiful bride, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderous, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, they will be consigned to the lake of fire of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then verse 22 through 27. It says, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamp and the Lamb is its lamp. 
The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will any, anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the first five verses of the next chapter. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. And the lamb came down, and the lamb, and the, excuse me, and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign with him forever and ever. That's the final look, and, and, and we can't create the city, and we can't create some of these things, but our goals are set. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. This will be true because there will be no more sin. And, and we want to eliminate sin as much as from our life as possible. And in, in doing so, get as close to no tears, death, mourning, crying, or pain as possible. We can't remove ourselves from it. We can't separate ourselves completely. But we can move in that direction. So a goal has been set. It says that kings and kings and kingdoms will come and go from Jerusalem serving Jesus as king. Well, we can serve him as king. We can make him lord of our life. We can recognize him. And it says that God will be the source of all life, all provision, and all goodness. Because God will be fully present. And we can try to make God fully present in our life, communicating with him and things like this. So... We have the original and we have the final, and we can use those as our sources of information to, to get as close today as we can. So it says we live in the middle. We know in part what it was like before sin, and we know in part what it will be like after sin. So see, our desire is to live as closely to both as possible, even as we are impacted by sin, the fall, and the extreme brokenness experienced in all areas of creation. So, what, what am I going to strive to do? Well, Adam and Eve walked with God in the beginning. And in the end, God, it says, we, we see him face to face. He is our king, we are his people, and we interact. So I want to move as close as I can to that same state. I want to communicate with God as much as I can. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read the scriptures, and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to direct me. And I'm going to listen to that. So I'm going to keep the lines of communication with God as, as open as possible while on this earth, striving to be as close to that goal as possible. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God, and, and that same, same thing is occurring in the end. And, and I want to walk with God, and I want to talk with God. I want to take him where I go. And I want to take him when I do things. And I want to have his perspective. And I want to be moving those directions. They depend on God for their life and their substance. 
we want to depend on God. It's a different dependence now than it was and will be, but we want to depend on him as much as possible. They served him and they honored him. We want to be doing these things. So we have our goal in mind. Okay, and that's, that's kind of the background that leads us to the conversation we're going to have today and in the weeks coming. We're going to define roles and positions and ask, what does God say they are? So today we're going to ask the question, what is an adult and what is a child? I really only wanted to do adult today, but it became really apparent that you can't separate the two. Because if you're, if you're a child, you're not an adult. And if you're an adult, you're not a child. So they kind of go together. They're hand in hand. And here's what I learned. Some of this was a little bit of a surprise. So A, in Jewish culture and tradition, going all the way back to the Old Testament, and in Jesus' day, and in Paul's day, in Jewish culture and tradition, a person becomes an adult when they reach the age of 20. Now, if you thought I was going to say 13, then you have been influenced by the modern bar mitzvah. The modern bar mitzvah is not traditional Jewish thinking. It's actually a reworking of Jewish thinking, honestly, to help parents not be responsible for what their kids are doing. And that's just the truth. That's what it was designed to do. But through the Bible and, and the Bible times, the, the, the era of time the Bible covers, it was 20. Interestingly enough, B, the word adult, is not found in the Bible. It's not there. But adults are referred to as men and women. And that makes perfectly good sense. I was surprised that adult wasn't in the Bible. I couldn't think of a verse where it had it. So when I checked and it wasn't there, I was a little surprised. But then to find out it's just men and women, that makes perfectly good sense. Children in the Bible are referred to as babes, babies, infants, boys, girls, little ones, young children, children, and youths. And interestingly enough, kind of relevant to today, even the unborn are referred to as children. And some translations referred to as twins, and, and particularly in Romans 9-11. I'll let you look that up on your own later. But just the idea that, that, that even the unborn are referred to with personhood. They're children. So C, therefore an adult is simply defined as a person who is not a child, and a child is simply defined as a person who's not an adult. Pretty simple. Really basic. Not that complicated. So D, when the Bible says boy, that means a male 19 years of age or less. Okay, when the Bible says girl, it means a female 19 years of age or less. When the Bible says man... It means a male, 20 years of age or older. And when it says woman, it means female, 20 years of age or older. Now, honestly, that entire section of notes back in Bible college, if you said, I'm going to be preaching this sermon, I would have thought, no, there's no way. That would never be relevant. But it's relevant now. Our, our culture, our country, the way... The way uh, people think now, these things are not black and white like this. Now, in the Bible, it's, it's pretty black and white. I'm going to show you some examples. I'm going to show you where this comes from. I'm not just going to tell you that's what it is and hope you accept it. But, but these things, as, as a foundation or as a presupposition, make a difference in how we move forward. 
So if I don't have this basic understanding so that I think in these terms, this is, this is where my logic bounces from, I can go down many different paths that aren't honoring to God because I missed this. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that, but let's figure out where this comes from. So on the other side of your notes, where do we see this illustrated? Well, I, I want to be really upfront, and I want to tell you there's a couple of spaces where, where that may not be accurate. There's a couple of places where that, that line that gave you, that, that rule of thinking, doesn't, doesn't seem to fit. Where does it? You think about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they are called young men. They're called young men in the book of Daniel, and, and they're described as Nebuchadnezzar took young men from Israel, took the best and the good-looking and the intelligent, and he took them to be part of his court. They're called young men. But they're always characterized as being teenagers. Every time you hear someone talk about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're, we're told they're teenagers. And so I'm asking myself, are the people that are calling them teenagers wrong, or does the rule not fit? Or is there a third explanation? Well, there, there is a, a couple of explanations. Number one, they could have got a promotion in terminology because they were literally yanked from the world and thrust into the adult world. So even though they weren't 20, they were forced to become adults. There's a thought. I don't think that's the best one. I think the best thought is that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel lived in Babylon. And in Babylon, 20 years old was not the magic number of becoming an adult. And after living in Babylon and the Babylonian culture, they were referred to as young men from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective and from the Babylonian perspective. And so when it was written about, that's what they were called. I'm not going to fight either one of those battles. If you want to disagree with me, go right ahead. I give you permission. Don't, don't bother telling me that. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit of a gray area. Mary and Joseph, another gray area. We have been told for, for as long as I can remember, a couple of decades probably, that Mary was, was a teenager. It's, I remember being 18, and then I remember being 16, and then I remember being 12, and I've heard a couple guys, you know, 12, 14, and, and I think, man, that's young. Oh, it was a different culture. It was a different time. And you think about that, and you go, well, it could have been a different culture, and it could have been a different time. They did mature faster, and they, they did live in a poor country, and, and this was one of the ways they survived, and, and, and blah, 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 this is going on. And then I, and then I read this, and Mary is called a woman. And Joseph's called a man. And I think, does that mean they were in their 20s? Does that mean they were older? Well, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, another gray area. So I'm not going to go argue with the people that say Mary was young, and I'm not going to argue with the people that say, no, she was an adult. I don't think that matters to the story. If it did, we'd be told how old she was. No matter how you cut it, she was a, a young, unmarried virgin woman who got a surprise visit from an angel and, and was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's enough. I don't, I don't need any more than that. But there are some places in Scripture where it is very clear this was the understanding, and most of the time, the rule is true. You're an adult when you're 20. Before you're 20, you're not. Magically, on the day of your birthday, you become an adult. 
and that's how they worked. That was their culture. That was their thinking. And so they taught and treated anyone 19 years old or younger as a child, and that word wasn't diminutive, and they treated everyone else as an adult. So, in your notes, in Numbers 14, God pronounced judgment on the nation for not following him into the promised land. So the, the setting is, the 12 spies went out, 10 came back and said, there's no way we can defeat these people, we don't need to go, it's going to be a massacre. Two said, if God is for us, who could be against us, we need to go. The nation sided with the ten, and God said, after all I've done, you're not going to trust me in this? And, and then his response was, everyone who's 20 years old and older will not be allowed to go in. We're going to wander in the desert for 40 years, and in that 40 years, everyone who's 20 and older will die. Then I will take everyone else in. And it's really interesting how it says it. So Numbers 14, 29, and 30, it says, In the wilderness your bodies will fall, that's the death part, every one of you 20 years old or more, for you are counted in the census. So those 20 years old or more were held responsible for the decision. That doesn't tell us everything, but the next verse does. As for your children... And some of your translations will actually say little ones. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. So there's two groups of people. The entire nation of Israel is divided into two groups. Those over 20 and the children. Those over 20 and the children. Those over 20 were held responsible those under 20 were not held responsible, and they were called children. So we have that division. And, and the very adult decision that was made by those over 20 ha came with an adult responsibility and an adult consequence. Those under 20 were given another chance. And, and please don't think that all the teenagers were in favor of going into the land. It, it wasn't a merit-based decision. It was an age-based decision. The adults were held responsible in the adult world, and the children were not because they were children. And the dividing line was age 20. If your birthday, your 20th birthday came before this event, you were with the adults. If your 20th birthday came a day after the event, you were with the children. That's the only div division. B, in your notes, whenever God numbered the people for a census, or for military reasons, uh, both adult responsibilities, he counted the men who were 20 years old and older. And there's three references there. You can look at them. And as for 3.8, Levites 20 years and older were appointed to supervise, adult roles, supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Interestingly enough, the Levites weren't allowed to serve as priests until they were 25. So we have this division. We see it in numbers very clearly. It, it, it that produces itself in other places. And so the question I have is, where does, where does that idea, where does that knowledge help us understand Scripture? So I have four Scriptures for us to look at. So turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. And we're going to look at each one of these. Spend just a, a little bit of time on them. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. 
I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Now this is the Apostle Paul, a very Jewish man. He makes this statement. And and the statement makes sense on the surface. Uh, When I was a child, I was childish. When I was an adult, I was adultish. I, I knew how to act. I knew how to behave. But when I take the idea of, a, of this happening at 20 years old, I can see a, a thought process here. When I, was, when I was under 20, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. I wasn't mature yet. I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't full grown yet. I was, I was still being developed. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. What they had in their life was a date when they quit being excused as children, and they started being responsible as adults. And it says, when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So at 20 years old, he made a conscious decision that I am now an adult, a man, responsible for my actions, my thoughts, and my behaviors, and the consequences therein. So he made a decision And doesn't that put a little perspective in our lives? There comes a day when I myself am on my own. I have the freedoms and the privileges. And with that freedom and privilege comes responsibility to both the benefits and the consequences. So there is a day when I must decide I will now be an adult. I will put adult things on the priority list. It, it could look like instead of making hanging out with my friends the most important thing, uh, being ready to do my job well might be the most important thing. I, instead, of, instead of just having fun, I might need to look for a spouse. Things, things change. And, and that's just really interesting. Nothing super profound. But now all of a sudden, when I read it like this, the words I put jump out at me where they'd never jumped out before. I put, I chose, I decided, I made. I became an adult, and I chose to act like one. Let's go to Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. Pretty familiar passage. Ephesians 6, 1 and 2 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So, again, the Apostle Paul says, children, obey your parents. It doesn't tell us when you get to stop obeying your parents. My parents are right there, and and they can walk up to me and say something like, you need to eat your broccoli, young man, for whatever reason. And if there was no limit to children obey your parents in the Lord, I would have to say, okay. And that would be it. And just imagine the kind of things your parents could tell you to do. You know, they live four states away. They call you on the phone and give you some instructions about how to spend your money or, or where to take your kids or when you'll be visiting next or something like that. It, it just isn't, it doesn't work that way. And, and, and we know that intuitively. But when does the child stop obeying their parents? Well, in this culture, it was at age 20. And all of a sudden, things start to make sense. 
in, in their culture, they, they lived with their parents much longer. A lot of times when they got married, they just added a room or added another building, and, and that's where they lived with their parents. And at a certain time, they, they had to make their own decisions, and they had to raise their own family. And, and obeying mom and dad doesn't make sense anymore. And it doesn't work with the responsibility they have or, or the maturing process or the, uh, you know, leave your father and mother and become one. doesn't work with all that. And so, so how did it work? All of a sudden, I see a pattern. Children, 19 and younger, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Listen to your mom and dad. Follow their instructions. Be under their protection until you're 20. At 20 years old, you're ready to go out, and now you're responsible for your own self. Notice the next verse, honor your father and mother. What's the limit for that? Well, there is no limit for that. If you remember, that is from the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments do not say obey your parents. We'd like them to sometimes. The Ten Commandments do not say obey. They say honor. When do we get to stop honoring? Never. We never stop honoring our parents. So he says, you know, until a certain age, which in our culture is 20, at 20 years old, you can stop obeying your parents. You can start living your own life, doing your own thing, but never stop honoring your father and mother. So all of a sudden, there's a little bit more meaning there. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. This is in the qualifications for an overseer. And, and Paul is listening to Timothy. These are, these are what an overseer or an elder needs to have. These need to be parts of their life so that they're eligible. Verse 4 says, He must maintain his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of respect. When, when does the child not have a bearing on the eligibility of the man? You know, and, and this has been debated. I, I have heard people say that if an, a, that an adult child isn't this, this, and this, then the parent isn't qualified to serve. And that's a pretty harsh limitation, and it doesn't say that. We apply this rule of thumb, and it says, your children who are under 20 who would be living with you at that point in time need to obey you. And if you look in Titus, it says it differently. They need to respect you. They, they need to live in tranquility with you. And so we have that understanding, and it helps us understand who is qualified to be an elder. And then Proverbs 22.6, super famous passage, almost always taken out of context. Chapter 22, verse 6, says, Start children off the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. And, and so many people read that, and they say, you know, if we bring our kids to church, put them in Sunday school, Awanas, youth group, we start them off when they're young, then we're guaranteed they're going to be saved and they're going to love God. And that's not what it says. It's not even close to what it says. It's, it's nowhere in there. First of all, we have to read it like a proverb, not a promise. So we start off by saying, for the most part, start your children off the way they should go, and when they're old, you will not depart from it. 
thinking about this verse with this understanding, all of a sudden, different things stand out to me. Start children off, which would be young. You see the word children, 0 to 19, but when they're young, start children off on the way they should go. Parent them when they're small, would be another way of saying that. Parent them when they're small, when they're toddlers, start parenting them. And when they're old, old what? We always think old people, but couldn't say, couldn't refer to old children. Start parenting your children when they're young, and when they are older children, we'd call them teenagers, I would guess, they will not turn from it. Teach them to respect you when they're four, and there's a lot greater chance they're going to respect you when they're 14. Teach them to listen when they're four, they're probably going to listen when they're 14. Teach them to think and make decisions when they're four and five, they'll be able to think and make better decisions when they're 14, 15, 16. Teach them the moral law of God. Teach them right and wrong. Teach them to think about other people. Teach them to think about who's coming behind them. Teach them to think in these ways that you want them to be able to think as teenagers. And if you start them off when they're young, they already have it, and they're more likely to embrace it when they're older teenagers. And all of a sudden, this verse makes so much more sense. Don't wait until there's a problem to start teaching. Start the teaching process when they're young, when they're the most moldable, when they, they desperately want to please mom and dad, when they're eager to learn, and learning is their job. Start them off when they're young, and when they're old, they're less likely to depart from it. They're less likely to lose what you've taught them. So, so there's some, some scriptures that, that kind of make more sense. Now, I shared a couple that it doesn't really help with, but these ones, it does help with. It gives me something to think about, to add to what I already know, so I can understand the scripture more and, and apply it more correctly. But what clarity can we gain from understanding this today? Where does this, where does this interact with us today? Well, here's some, some clarifications. And then let me stop and say that 20 years old was the magic age of their culture, the Jewish culture. That's how their household operated. That's how things worked. We do not pull that age forward and say, my kids are adults when they're 20. That's, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are not a Jewish culture. The current Jewish culture doesn't even practice this. So we have to pull the principles out of here. We apply them to our culture and who we are as believers and, and how we're going to fulfill God's commands as we raise our children and as we act as adults. And so moving forward, we would say that, well, let's just look at these. A, the parents in a child's life, are responsible to continue molding, teaching, and raising them until they are able to function as adults. Now, we don't have a set age. There's really a lot of confusion as in when children become adults. At 18, you can vote and join the military, both against your parents' wishes. At 21, you can buy alcohol and cigarettes, against anybody's wishes. At 16, you can be emancipated from your parents. 
and, and, and be totally on your own if a court deems that appropriate. And in some cases, you can stay in your parents' health insurance until you're 26 years old. So we have no idea in our culture, or we have no agreement in our culture, of when you actually become an adult. So we can't rely on a number. We have to rely on circumstance. And, and I think the circumstance is when, when your child is able to function as an adult. And, and, and that means a lot of things in our culture. Can, can they feed themselves? Can they care for themselves? Can they hold down a job, get themselves out of bed? Can they, can they live up to their commitments? Can they handle finances? Are they able to make decisions? All these things factor in. And at some point in time, you have to launch your child. You have to launch them out. And, and in some cases, even declare, hey, bud, you are an adult now, so go be one. You're no longer welcome here as a child. You need to go be an adult. Some kids will automatically make that transition on their own, and you look at them one day and go, whoa, you're an adult. I guess I'll quit treating you like a child. But the, the magic thing that happens is they, they go out and, and become the adult. But until that happens, our job as parents or the adults assigned to those kids by God is to continue. We don't stop. You know, when your 13-year-old mouths off and, and you say, where did that come from? You don't throw your hands up and walk away. When something bad happens, and maybe you get called by the police, you get called by the principal, you get called by your neighbor, and they say, do you know what so-and-so was doing last night or this morning? Are you aware of what's going on? And you're all embarrassed and flustered, and, and, and you don't know what to do. Some people retreat. Some people say, well, boys will be boys. Well, teenagers turn 13. They were expecting this to happen. And, and their, their game plan is to wait them out. And eventually one day, the, the, the switch will flip, and they'll figure out life, and they'll act like an adult. And so my job is to pray hard and hold on tight for the next two, four, six, eight years until it happens. And, 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 and that's not the goal. My goal is to continue there may be an occasion in someone's life where legitimately they're 23, 24 years old before they're ready to make that transition. There could be a medical condition. There, there could be uh, uh, several factors that come into play that take you out of the normal range and, and move it farther back. There could be another occasion where a younger person makes that transition. It's not 18, 21, 16, or 26, or 20. But as a parent, it's my job to continue, okay? Continue up to that point. Then it's my job to stop. Now I am an advice giver. I'm a question answerer. I'm a resource. I'm a role model. I'm an example. But I'm no longer an instructor. I'm no longer telling you what to do. They have to become on their own. B... Children, not yet fully on their own, are responsible, and that's exactly the word, they are responsible to live under the guidance and instruction of their parents. If you are a child, and you're here today, thank you for being here. 
We love you. We appreciate you. I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm not sure I fully understood when I was a child, teenager, but it's true. The very best place for a child to thrive is under the loving, caring guidance of their parents. They know you. They love you. They have been investing in you. And they're not going to stop. And the very best place for you to live is under their guidance. Let them protect you. Let them teach you. Let them guide you. Let them help you transition. Let them be the ones to say, here's a new responsibility you need to take on. Here's a new freedom you've earned. Now is the time to step out and become an adult. If parents continue to parent and children continue to children, they will live well under the same house and goals will be met and that child will become an adult. Now, now I know that, that right now I need to say that there are things that happen that mess up the plan because I'm talking about God's best plan and we live in a broken world full of tragedy and, and where people have hurt other people and where things don't work like they're supposed to. Genetics itself has, has eliminated some of us from working the way it's supposed to. But this is our goal, remember. This is what we're shooting for. This is what I'm trying to get to, to achieve. And so I have to take into consideration that the things that have hindered the process, the things that have gotten in the way, I need to deal with those, and I need to move towards this. C. When a child transitions into adulthood, and I chose that word very carefully, because we don't, we, we don't, we do not, we cannot, simply one day hand them a card and say, guess what, you're an adult, there's a card, it proves it. It doesn't help them any. As they progress and mature, become responsible, they're willing to take on responsibilities, with that responsibility comes freedoms, and we give them a little bit at a time. In, in, in my household, we realized this was going to take a few years, and so we started them at 13. And we said, you're 13 years old, we're going to start the process of you becoming an adult, officially. And our goal is 18. Maybe it'll be 19, maybe it'll be 20, but our goal is 18, and we're going to start doing things every year. We're going to add responsibility, and we're going to add freedom. If you live up to the responsibility and the freedom, the next year you get more. Till eventually, you're still living in my house, but you have quite a bit of autonomy. I remember having a conversation with each of my kids. And I said, listen, you've, you've proven yourself responsible, and you've proven yourself mature, and right now, the next few months before you leave the house, now you tell us where you're going to be. Because you need to honor your mom and dad, and, and we don't want us worrying about you. So you tell us where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing and when to expect you back. Don't come ask. That's a scary thing to say to your kids. Hey, Junior, you're mature enough now. You don't have to ask where to go, what to do, where to be, who to be with. You don't have to ask. No one would like you to tell, though. Go ahead and tell us so we don't worry about you. You know your mom's going to worry. Go ahead and whatever. Blame it on mom. That always works. <laughs> and, and we transition. You're, you're teaching them how to honor you as an adult, and you're teaching them how to practice as an adult. And since they are still a child, they always have a fallback. 
And sometimes they'll come back and say, well, you know, I, I, I do need a little advice here. And, and you give them the advice, but you don't tell them what to do. You give them every opportunity to do what they decide. And they might make a mistake and they might do it just perfectly. But, I, but you transition. So you help them along the way. So when a child transitions into adulthood, they both gain the freedom to direct their own paths, but also take on the full responsibility of their decisions, both positive and negative. We don't shield them from consequences. We let them feel them. D, parents who lead throughout childhood and children who accept the guidance, protection, and instruction of their parents create the best possible circumstances for healthy and nurturing home and the best possible circumstances for a smooth transition into adulthood. We've already talked about that. E, we may not be able to save every child, but if we accept the role of adults, remember the God-given role, the role he's given us, the role he's placed us in, which is the best for us and those we're responsible for, we accept the role of adult that I'm, I'm going to guide, I'm going to instruct, I'm going to be an example, no matter how hard it is. I accept the role of as an adult, especially as a parent. And child, the child says, you know what, I'm going to live under my parents' rule and reign. I'm going to ask for their opinion. I'm going I'm to trust their wisdom. I, I know they love me and they care for me, and, and I'm going to put myself under them. So I'm living in both roles as the adult and the child, okay, as God has assigned them. Not as Oprah assigned them, or my teacher assigned them, or the newscast assigned them, or the government assigned them, or anybody else. I'm going to do it as God assigned them. Then we can trust and most likely save our kids from the consequences of believing the many lies of our culture. And by the way, it's in parenting that children become free to children. They can be the child they need to be, no matter what age they are. So, what are some of the things we might avoid, we might not have to deal with? This, I, I'm going to learn this, though. I added some more stuff this morning. I have sexual sin there, substance abuse, bullying, social issues, gender confusion, radical feminism. And I say radical because there were some good things, but they got taken way too far. Depression, anxiety. Doctrinal debate, which is really, uh, you know, I'm going to deconstruct my faith and I'm going to question everything my parents believe. We can avoid a lot of that stuff by adults being adults, kids being kids, doing it together, working towards adulthood in a child's life. That's the number one, number one role of a parent. Now, you're saying, well, maybe this should have been for a parenting class because a lot of us, our kids are gone. They're out of the house. Well, you have kids, and they have kids, and you have grandkids who might have kids, and maybe you can help them out a little bit. Maybe you can be a voice of reason. Regardless, today in today's world, we have to start with the position God gave you does not determine your value. And then we have to define what those positions are and, and what the role those positions carry and, and how we're supposed to be in those roles. And we're going to talk about more roles and more be more relevant to different people. But the society that says, be whatever you want to be, uh, don't worry about what anyone else says, be true to yourself, make every decision based on where, where your happiness is going to be found, 
these are all things that muddy the waters and let you be someone or something God did not call you to be and has not designed you to be. And when you try to be something God has not called you to be and he has not designed you to be, your life gets worse. That's when you experience depression. That's when suicide becomes an option. That's when the world doesn't work like it's supposed to, and you try this and you try that, and instead of getting better, it gets worse and worse because you're veering farther and farther away from God's design and God's purpose for you and the role he's given you. So when we watch the news, we should be asking, are are those people in the world that were given? Do they have authority in this area? Are they living up to their position? Is this someone I should listen to, or are they directing me towards God's best, the way it was in the beginning and the way it's going to be in the end? Or are they moving me in a direction to be autonomous from God, to make myself a God, or to make one of them God, because their words are more important than his? We like to talk about these things. It's, it's kind of crazy. And, and it, it, it's kind of weird. But if we're going to live in the world today, we've got to talk about the issues of today. And like I said, never in a million years did I thought I would preach an entire sermon to define what is an adult and what is a child. I hope it has helped you in your thinking, and I hope you can pass it on to someone else. We'll continue down the line in weeks to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for everyone's patience as we have gone over the allotted time. Thank you that, that no one has an angry look on their face. I pray that you would bless our afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.